Welcome to The Hotspot. I'm your host, Armandez Fuliarjamandi. Light hotspots are the next major evolution for the Helium network, unlocking the potential to grow to millions of hotspots and removing annoyances like port forwarding, relaying, and syncing. Anyone who owns a hotspot will know that this upgrade can't come soon enough. Well, we're getting closer by the day, and today the Helium core team hosted an AMA to explain the latest steps on the road to light hotspots going live, Helium Improvement Proposals 54 and 55. I think it's no exaggeration to say that these proposals are necessary to secure the network's future, and fortunately, they've received a warm reception since they were introduced to the community just a few days ago. I think it's important to try to understand what's in these HIPs, especially HIP 55, and I'm sure they will both imminently be brought to a vote. It was great to hear an explanation of these proposals directly from the Helium Core team members who authored them. I think they did a really good job at explaining them simply, getting the message across, and answering a few technical questions from the audience. So that's all for me. Let's get right into it. The Helium Core team AMA on light hotspots, HIP 54 and HIP 55. I'm happy to introduce sort of our panel up here. Let's start from left to right, at least on my screen. We've got Hashcode, who is the author of HIP54, HIP55, and the head of product at the core team. We also have Mad Ninja, who is the CTO of the core team and sort of the mastermind behind Light Hotspots. Also, uh, Professor, another core contributor and author of HIP54 and HIP55. He is also our VP of engineering. And then you've got myself. I'll be moderating this AMA. I am on the product team. So uh, we've made an announcement, I think, earlier this week to go over the current status of light hotspots and just to remind everyone what light hotspots are. It's sort of the evolution of the current hotspots that we have today. These hotspots, they load a complete blockchain so they require syncing. They also use the peer-to-peer uh, -peer network, so they talk to each other over peer-to-peer, -peer, which means that there are IP addresses involved. Sometimes you see relays, which is something that we tell our community to try to get themselves out of. A lot of port forwarding and troubleshooting there that we know is very frustrating for some of our users. In addition to sort of the syncing issue and the peer-to-peer -peer issue, a lot of these hotspots just tend to be very expensive to manufacture because of the CPU requirements that these hotspots have. With the switch to light hotspots, new hardware requirements are now reduced. You can have cheaper hardware to manufacture hotspots because these hotspots no longer need to sync the chain. So gone are the days of waiting to sync of hotspots not earning because they fall out of sync and also not earning because they happen to be relayed or not directly connected. Light hotspots sort of is a way for everyone to consistently provide better coverage for devices to use on the Helium network with the change to light hotspots and the fact that they do not sync the change comes a challenge. These hotspots cannot create challenges anymore. They have to rely on another entity to create challenges for them. And this is where validators come in and hit 55. So hit 55 basically outlines that validators should create challenges for hotspots so that they can beacon out and they witness each other with validators creating challenges, there's a new way of targeting which hotspots to beacon. That would bring us to HIP 54, which is called the H3DAX-based proof of coverage 
targeting. So that's kind of the rough introduction. Um, if you guys haven't read the hip, perhaps some of our authors can speak a little bit about it, um, sort of the TLDR layman's terms for a community to understand. Do we want to start with a hash code to go over HIP 54 first? I, I think what, you know, what's important about HIP 54, the, the targeting HIP, um, is when we were a much smaller network, um, it was, you know, fairly easy to select a, a hotspot for targeting, you know, and, and I think, you know, as, as the network continues to expand, we just you know, some of the assumptions have changed this, right? We've, we've had 500,000 hotspots join the, the network, um, and we uh, know that there are some hotspots that are um, offline, um, again, you know, related to some of these syncing issues. Um, and so, you know, even the sort of act of selecting a random hotspot, um, uh, and this is, you know, another hotspot has to s select it right now, That that's just computationally expensive. And, and you know, it is... It, it, what we've seen in the community and what we've seen with some of the deployments is that if there's a lot of offline hotspots in, a, in, a, in an area, the other hotspots um, get challenged more often, and that shouldn't be the intention of the, the selection algorithm. So we sort of have a solution to this. Um, we wanted to propose it as a hip to the community because, you know, it is a change um, to, to the function, but we feel like it is a, it's an upgrade and, and it's sort of falls in line with the intentions of how POC targeting should work. One of the things that I'd like to do, you know, going forward with the with the rest of the, the sort of core developers is we should really just be hipping everything. Even sort of more obvious um, technical improvements, scaling improvements, like it's 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 really a useful way for us to communicate the kinds of changes that are coming and, and we just like to do that more. For some folks in the community, I know I remember like Eli and Toss saying something like, you, know, you guys don't need to hip this. This is just a an upgrade. Just do it. Um and I, I actually disagree. I think it's it's useful for us to talk about all the things that we're working on and, and actually share it with the community. And I think the hips are, are, are a good way to do that. Thank you for that uh, brief overview of HIP54 hash code. Professor, do you want to go over quickly HIP55? Yeah, um, I'd just like to touch on 54 for a minute. You know, essentially, as as Abai mentioned, it's it's really just an optimization. I tried to keep the behavior as close as possible to the existing behavior. Whether the existing behavior is 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 correct is is sort of a different question. I essentially tried to fix the known flaws with the existing behavior without changing the semantics of it too much right essentially it should do roughly the same thing there's going to be a little bit of you know it's not it's not exactly compatible it can't be um but it's 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 as close as i could i could make it so i i, I don't expect you know if, if you feel like there's something dramatically wrong there uh i'd be happy to discuss it but i suspect that that one should be pretty uncontroversial 55 is definitely the bigger the bigger of the two fish. We've come a long way in the last three years, right? You know, we, we, we've changed a lot of things. Like, like, we didn't know how this network was going to evolve. We didn't necessarily know where we where, where things were going to be down the road. And so we, we definitely biased towards shipping a network as soon as possible. We've been making changes to, to react to what we're learning about building a network like this, right? Because, you know, th this, this is a fairly unique kind of network and so and so there were no there were no roadmap here we nobody knew we didn't know what we were we, we didn't know what we were doing uh from a like how do you make a network that's half a million nodes across the world 
actually be relatively coherent and 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 operate together. So, you know, I think the first big shift was obviously the move to validators last year, which was you know a, a, a very big change, right? We we basically added an entire new role to the network and we moved a, a core responsibility of hotspots to the validator group. I think that that's been very successful. Um, I, I think that that was needed. You know, we we couldn't scale uh, what we were doing at, at that level on the you know hotspot hardware. So that was that was the first big one. And now the next step is now that we've built this network of validators, and 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 the name validator is actually important, right? The role of a validator is to provide a valid view of the chain to lighter clients asking about it, specifically light hotspots, right? So this is something we've been wanting to do. So we, we thought about this when we designed the validator setup. This has been in the pipeline for a while. One of the roles validators will take on, in addition to being elected to the group, they will also be asked, what is the state of the chain at this height, right? Like what, you know, what, what is happening, right? And, and, and validators will provide to a light hotspot, they will say, you know, this fact about the chain was true at this block height, right? And that is critically, that is signed, right? So they, the, the validator says, I'm asserting that this fact is true at this point in time. It's essentially saying at this block height of the chain, this fact was true. And now the light hotspots can use that information to take action, right? Uh, and, and that's what we're really building on here. We want to not have the, the hotspots have to follow the chain anymore. It, it's too expensive, uses too much bandwidth. Running one of the world's largest peer-to-peer -peer networks is like not a fun thing to do. So, you know, shrinking the size of what you need to do for a peer-to-peer -peer network, I think is 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 valid. It's a difficult scaling problem to to, to sort of do an untrusted peer-to-peer -peer network at this scale. It, it becomes difficult to where where you actually necessarily need to dial a specific other peer, right? Not just be a peer-to-peer -peer network, but actually have connections that you need to establish to a particular other peer. That introduces a lot of problems around knowing who that other person is, keeping that up to date, and then when you suddenly need to dial them, right? Like you have to then figure out where they are. And if you have never dialed them before, because it's a giant network, the odds of you actually engaging with that other party are very low. And so there's like a whole discovery mechanism and a whole bunch of complicated stuff you have to do to make that work. The goal of this is to remove all of that complexity. The light hotspot is connected to a validator or a set of validators. When a challenge is made against a region of 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 the map, right? All the hotspots in that region are told, hey, you might be getting challenged. You should go talk to this validator or this consensus group member specifically, and he'll tell you what to do. Uh, and that is, again, an attestable fact, right? The way that it works is that, you know, that is something that the chain will will advertise and everybody will know. And so the validator can tell you as, a, as an attestable fact that this is happening. Then you go talk to that validator and the validator says, okay, you're getting challenged. And so you here's what you need to do, which obviously avoids, you know, validators are a much easier target to connect to because they are larger machines. They're, they're probably not on a home internet connection or they shouldn't be. And they have a relatively stable IP address, right? They are not ISPs where you get a new IP every hour or whatever the heck some of these things do, right? So so it, it, it's a much simpler um, connection problem. Basically, everything else happens largely as happens today. The challenger broadcasts the packet. The witnesses see the packet. They say, oh, who's in charge of this challenge? You know, they ask their validator now. And the validator says, oh, talk, go talk to this guy. They submit their, they submit their reports there. And essentially, the the receipt comes out on chain as it does today, right? Um, the, the the main thing that we've now removed the necessary we no longer need to follow the chain, 
and you no longer need to do these these very difficult direct dials between two arbitrary members of the peer-to-peer -peer network. Namely, in, in, in the previous case, it was the challenger dialing the challengee and then the witnesses dialing the challenger, right? Those are sort of the, 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 the dial directions that are, they, they work sometimes, they don't work all the time, and it's, it's difficult. It's just not worth it, especially given that we want to go to lower spec hardware on the hotspots. It's really three birds with one stone because we're, we're lowering the hardware requirements we're simplifying the networking around challenging, and we're no longer required to even follow the chain. So your bandwidth usage of hotspots will go massively down because they are no longer going to be gossiping blocks around and, and, and all that stuff. It will all basically be delegated in a secure way to the validator, the, the group of validators that are staked on the chain. Professor, quick question from the group. They would like to know if... Uh, having consensus group validators creating challenges, would that be too much load for these validators? Um, contention over resources or perhaps cause more outages? Could you speak to that? So if you think about what happens today, the, the consensus group already has to validate all of those receipt transactions. So, so essentially, given that they're creating them already, like adding, adding the creation to them, right? Essentially, what you can say is, you know, you as a particular consensus group member, if, you, if this is a challenge, if this is a receipt that you created, you don't need to validate it again because you clearly already did it. So, so you essentially retain the, the property of each receipt is still validated once by the consensus group, right? And so it, it doesn't add all that much, I don't think. Um, now, there is, obviously, if, if, if there is a problem there, we could split that role out down the road to another set of validators. You know, um, this is something that Abai and I have talked about, where, for example, you have a group that are that is doing the challenging, right? Like you have a challenge group and you have a you know, you have a you have block production a block production group, and you have a challenging group. That's that's viable. It is a little bit more complicated to do. We can we can leverage some of the tricks that we've already built around the consensus algorithm to make this more efficient. Doing it this way, and this is also easier, right? So so it doesn't close the door on a future evolution if we find that if if we think that we can do it better in a separate group of validators. It doesn't, it doesn't close the door on that, but I, I think that would be a premature optimization. If someone has asked earlier uh, what the roadmap is going to be for light hotspots and when. Our, our current state is that uh, there are multiple hardware-based hotspots running the new way of POCing, proof of coverage, on testnet using testnet validators. And you can see that on our testnet-explorer.helium.com. That's also in the announcement. So the next step for that is to invite other manufacturers onto testnet um, by running a special testnet Docker build so that they can verify that they're able to also receive challenges and participate in POC. So we're, we would let that sink in for a couple of weeks to make sure there are no bugs because the last thing we would want to do is to deploy this prematurely onto mainnet and take down the entire network. This is why it's so important that we spend all of this time on testnet. The next step for that is to slowly merge in parts of the code that is not related to HIP54 and 55 to mainnet and let that sort of run in the background. And then once we are confident that everything works as expected on testnet, we would 
merge all the code related to the new way to perform proof of coverage, validator screen challenges, the new uh, hex targeting onto mainnet in an inactive state, and then activate those chain variables. Um, so all of this code come with chain variables so that they don't get accidentally enabled and it allows the core team and of course others uh, in a multi-signature chain variable activation can activate it all at the same time. So much like POC v11, the code was merged um, for quite some time before it was activated and the same will happen here. So in terms of when, uh, the timelines will be hard to say, but as soon as we are able to get some confidence in other test makers on testnet, um, we'll have a better idea of when everything will be activated. But there will be some time lag between each step so that we can make sure that everything transitions um, without any interruptions to the network. I, I also think that we can, HIP 54 uh, can happen independently of, of HIP 55. That that is that lays some of the groundwork for HIP 55. They're not tightly coupled together, I guess. We did 54 because we knew it was going to be a problem for HIP 55, but we didn't we don't they don't they don't need to go together per se. Looks like we've got a bunch of uh, questions coming in now. Like thanks for everyone that's throwing stuff in. Um the incentive for non-consensus group members to do the work that's described. Um, so we didn't put an incentive in there. Um, they have, but I, th I think it might be worth just talking about where, where we're going with that. That's a good point. Um, I I think that, and, and this is something that we haven't necessarily drafted up yet, but um, I think that there's a few different things here, but yeah, obviously, you know, you have to work for free here. I, I think that ideally, in, in, in where I would like to go with this is, you know, being a validator that hotspots trust to to use as their validator for you know getting these attestations and stuff like that, um, that should translate into uh, some kind of some kind of uh, reward, whether it's whether it's a, a you know a, a direct payout or perhaps you know you you say okay well this validator is being used by a lot of hotspots it's doing you know, it, it, it's involved in a lot of things, you know, that would be potentially something, a signal you could use to look at for electing, electing validators, right? Like you're doing a service to the network. Um, I, I think that when you're in the consensus group, you should not be treated, you, you shouldn't be connected to and ask for attestations. That's, that's a separate role. But like when you're, when you're a passive validator, uh, currently you don't really do anything, you know, in, in a way we have some problems where there are validators that are out there that are, you know, they're, behind a relay i mean somehow like you know like you can do it i mean it's not great but you can do it or they're they're just not doing you know they're, they're selected purely because you know they didn't do anything wrong lately there's no positive signal right the the only way right now that you you get elected is is it's it's all a lack of a negative signal there is no positive signaling um to say you know hey this this guy was doing good work when he wasn't in the group, you know. For example, now that's I'm not saying that this is exactly what we will do. These are these are kind of my thoughts in that direction. In that, you know, also you could have some model where, you know, for example, you know, you could imagine build, building systems to incentivize uh, the use of validators, right? Like like either you go one way and you say okay. You know, like a validator doesn't have to take any particular hotspot. It could say, "I don't want you to. I don't. I don't want to provide an attestation to you." Right? That this, this is a this is a consensual relationship. Um, 
you know, it, you could imagine that, for example, validators could say, uh, you know, I want to boost hotspots that I like or I think are 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 doing the right thing, and I I don't want to connect. I don't want to let hotspots that I think are doing nefarious things or whatever connect. Right? That that's that's up to the hot or up to the validator. Similarly, the validator can make a decision. Right? It, it's going to say, okay, well, I want to I want to connect to validators that 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 i agree with right so there's you know i don't i don't necessarily know where we're that that's some future development or future design we want to do um and yeah for now there is no direct and economic incentive there and so you know we we may have to you know it's it's, it's entirely fair that you know maybe nobody wants to do this as a validator you know it's, it's required for the network to function so we will have to find a way to incentivize it um and we just we don't have that piece yet so it might be that we run our own validators that do this for a while until we can build out the incentive model for it's uh, it's really about scope as well, right? Like we, we want to make changes, obviously. And one of the things that we want to do it as 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 quickly as possible, but also as safely as possible. And we, we didn't want to really introduce the sort of grandest scale of, of change that we could have that we could have done, right? We could have created multiple subgroups, we could have created um, a separate incentive mechanism. We wanted to make as, as few changes as possible, um, and so that's that's just something that I, um, I I sort of like about our community is that we we like incremental change and we're open to incremental change. So, and and I think that um, uh, you know our, our team is trying to trying to do sort of small focus bits um, as we can. Um, obviously, a, a lot of the things that we're doing are we're, we're we're sort of inventing. Unfortunately, a lot of new things, writing a lot of new code, and and operating uh in a you know as the 500,000 node network as we, as we have today um so you know each change might seem like a very very large change uh, but we're trying to minimize uh the impact of each one as possible i pinned a bunch of questions uh that might be good to also look at i'm just going to sort of knock out a few of them uh there's one around offline hotspots um this is uh, related to HIP 54, um, and you know, if they're currently offline, like, is there any way to remove them from active duty today? There's no way to remove a hotspot from the chain, but uh, for the purposes of uh, things like reward scale and 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 sort of interact and just in general interactivity, um, uh, there is a chain bar. Um, it's set at 3,600 blocks, um, which is about two and a half days or so, um, and. Uh, it's sort of considered offline from a network perspective. It might still show up in Explorer, but that's because it is a hotspot. It is on chain. It has been asserted somewhere. Um, so that's uh, hopefully that answers Leon's question. Yeah, I mean, we we in general have you know like like blockchains are are difficult in that you know they're kind of forever, right? So whatever you put in the ledger, you have to be really careful about when you remove it uh, because if if it goes away, all the transactions that originally added it to the chain become valid again. Um, and so there are some options there, uh, but we currently don't have a huge, you know, the, the, an inactive hotspot doesn't imply, it doesn't incur a large cost to the chain at, at, at current, essentially. It's just dormant data that doesn't, doesn't really cause that much of a problem. I think down the road, we may have to implement a way to, to garbage collect some of these hotspots that just are, are never coming back. You know, the, the hardware has failed, you know, and, and there's no way to recover it. Uh, but, but we're not there yet. That, that's, a, that's a separate problem. There's a question from JM here on once light hotspots are implemented, will PSC-related chain bars be able to be updated, max witness, beacon frequency? There's another similar question, I think, um, around, um, you know, can I increase the number of max, max witnesses? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, you know, we're, we're always 
trying to balance between maximizing the sort of interrogation of the network, but you know, not to the degree that it impacts the performance of the network, right? And and so we're currently doing things that are a little bit, you know, it's more manual than I would like. I, I would like to continue to improve the performance of that set of things that we do. And, and I think that there is room to do that. Um, we, we always have to be sort of cognizant of the fact that the blockchain, you know, has multiple users, right? It's not just all about the challenging um, if you do less challenging, right, what happens is, is that each individual challenge becomes worth more. So like lowering the rate in general for a, a normal hotspot, like you, it, what it does is it lowers the payout frequency, not necessarily the overall payout amount that you will get as a hotspot, right? I would like to move, move those numbers back up again. There's always pressure to do that. But on the other hand, we, we also need a chain that functions, right? So there's a few things, you know, getting through this will help. It will give us a little bit better control over, you know, when we're saturating the chain. And, and I think that once we have that better control, we may be able to, you know, we can experiment with moving those numbers up again and, and see where we are. Um, right now, the problem with the challenge in, the challenge numbers is that they're tied to the number of active hot, number of hotspots on the chain, and that number always goes up, which means that any limits that we set become stale over time, right? Because there's not, you know, decoupling the the interval from the size of the network, I think is critical because first of all, it gets us something that we don't have to constantly uh, tamper with, um, and secondly it means that it's easier for us to change that number and observe the results because it it won't get affected by the network size growing at the same time when we change the var right like so all of that will make it easier and and i think that post this we should be able to see about moving those numbers up again Thank you, Professor. Uh, so we are just about out of time. And uh, we just want to thank all of our speakers, Hashcode, Mad Ninja, Professor, uh, for joining us and answering questions about light hotspots, hit 54, hit 55. To summarize, uh, we will likely put these two hips up for a helium vote. So please be on the lookout for that and continue the discussions as well in our various HIP channels for 54 and 55. So once again, thank you everyone for joining. We will see you on the Discord. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks, everyone.